Hello and welcome to episode one of The Paper Crane, a podcast from Codes in the Clouds and a Misspent Youth Productions. We are Codes in the Clouds. My name is Joe. I'm Stephen. I'm Kieran. And I'm Jack. And we have been making music, recording and touring together since 2007. Uh, this show will focus on people within various creative industries, their story and their view on their industry as a whole. Uh, I think really what I wanted to get out of it was to kind of recreate those interesting conversations that you have as when you work as a band, not just with other musicians, but with all the creative people that you meet. It's always really interesting and I really wanted to get that down on, on record so that people could hear it and, and join in. Absolutely, yeah. That's one of the, it was one of the big things that we missed over uh, lockdown. Um, n- not you know, even j- not just not seeing each other, but also not meeting new different people in a sort of more relaxed, creative environment, which is what we were hopefully trying to recreate here. Um, but and have you know, much like uh, our social life, we didn't invite Jack to this one. <laughs> yeah, th- thanks a lot for that, guys. Uh, it's okay, I don't like meeting new people, so um, <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to do an interview with someone I didn't know. I'd rather just chat to you guys like we are now. Yeah, we just have it. We just we don't ever talk anymore. Um, yeah, no, this this was a, a lovely interview we had with Stuart. We've got loads of interesting chats. We're gonna we're gonna be you know rolling substitutions throughout this uh, run of episodes. You'll never hear all four of us bombard one guest with a load of questions <laughs> overwhelm a guest <laughs> yeah exactly it would normally just be uh, two or sometimes three of us this this week was uh, me Steve and Kieran Kieran do you want to keep it professional give us some uh, Stuart Braithwaite facts Stuart Braithwaite facts lovely <laughs> I like that for a start <laughs> <laughs> right that's in every week from, from here on in Kieran yeah, does the yeah, fact corner it. you set it up why did you read it like a robot I love it you're doing that every week now now you're the robot right, right. repeat that exact <laughs> intonation go Stuart Braithwaite facts <laughs> it. it's like hearing the football scores <laughs> Stuart, along with Barry, Dominic and Martin, formed Mogwai in Glasgow in the 90s. Since then, they've gone on to soundtrack films and TV shows, as well as released 10 studio albums. The most recent album, As The Love Continues, went to number one in, in the UK in February of this year, which was a big moment for bands like us who are nestled into this much-ignored indie subgenre. Guys, have we ever got to number one? Let me just look. I think, we, I think we've sold one. Oh, no, you're right. No, you're right. Is I that just, how it works? Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. Oh, then it's, we're sorted then. Is that We've the done same, that loads. It's the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, no, I've, I've, yeah. I've done that so many times. I've done loads of ones. <laughs> how, many, uh, how, many, how many records do you have to sell to get to number one? If you're selling in like double figures, you're on, you're on the way. But it includes downloads now as well, right? So it's not. Oh, well, it doesn't oh, mean these... anything. Life has changed. Stuart was uh, was really generous with his time. Uh, it was it was really nice. This year he's uh, he's done a remix for us, which you can hear online. And I think there's still maybe a couple of the limited edition vinyls available. He'd also he'd just been nominated for a Mercury Prize, and he decided to spend his evening talking to little upstarts <laughs> like us. Uh, yeah. It was really nice. We cover a lot in our conversation with him, like what it's like going to number one. As Steve says, we're chatting to a certified pop star in this episode. Uh, what it's like being nominated for the Mercury. Kieran, just out of nowhere, just went, what's it like knowing John Peel? And then he tells us an amazing John Peel story, which is incredible. And we also talk about the great T-shirts uh, that he released to do with the band Blur who I just want to go on the record as saying I like and Steve I know for a fact you like them as well don't deny it I think it think was I think it was quite clear that, that you Joe were trying to stoke a fire that was lo- <laughs> it's long since gone out you're trying to create beef look 10 year old beef is never good <laughs> for any recipe no was there like a clear like audible sigh from Stuart when you brought it up again and you, he knew you were trying to make him angry. No, no, no. I could see. I, I mean, he was he was playing it down. I could see the rage. It's still there. Behind <laughs> <those>. <laughs> Having a number one has calmed him down. But I think if he saw Damon Albarn in the street, he'd spark him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now he's number one. He's got to get more PR trained. He's exactly. got to learn how to kind of yeah. hold all this in and uh, appear on like breakfast television. One. 
He's got to go tabloid yeah. for the next record. But um, yeah, you know, we hope you enjoy the show. Let us know what you think by getting in touch via email at info at codesintheclouds.net or via social media at codesclouds. Um, please remember to subscribe to the show and give us a cheeky five stars wherever you're listening as that stuff really helps. Enjoy the show. How are you, man? How's it? You've had a, an interesting week. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's been it's been a bit mad, but yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm all good. Thank. Awesome. Yeah, congr- massive congratulations on the uh, on the Mercury. It's so well deserved and so cool. Oh, cheers. Yeah, it was weird because we're quite surprised, super surprised. Yeah, because um. And we kind of stopped putting them forward because uh, <laughs> it never got nominated. And then, I think this year, um, yeah, we're, we're we always talk about it with the label, and um, we're like, well, it's done pretty well, so you never know. And we also had Arab Strap, which also did really well, so we're like, we as well just pay the money and whatever. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my dog's got a Brussels sprouts toy. Hey, Lyra, do you want to come? <laughs> oh, mate. <laughs> Bonus dog material, yeah. yes. That's guaranteed clicks. <laughs> I'm taking the Brussels sprout away. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good. And, um, and there was all, I mean, there's loads of good records actually nominated. Um, so, yeah. it kind of feels quite nice. And, yeah. Well, pretty pleased with it. Yeah, you are you are in good company. But yeah, also you know, and double congratulations as well because the album went to flipping number one, which <laughs> you know for for bands in a niche genre felt like such a oh, victory. It was so it was such a cool moment. Uh, and then and then obviously the highlight of your career it came out the same day as the remix of Codes in the Clouds. <laughs> I was I, I I was worried about the remix overshadowing the. You <laughs> <laughs> know, I, I I loved in that remix. By the way, I really thought it was, it was a, a really good song and kind of it was a blast um, messing around with it and yeah. How's it going? Is it is it going down well from your guys' end? Yeah, we've yeah. had a better, we've had an incredible response. Yeah, I mean remix remixes remixes are a funny thing because like. I'm not going to pretend that I'm some kind of like studio genius. So like sometimes I'll do it and I'll probably make the song worse. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not saying mine was better, but it definitely was its own thing and was worth hearing. So I kind of, um, for your guys, I mean, so yeah, I was, I was really super happy with how it turned out. That's the thing with the remix is that it's got to be its own thing for it to be worth anything. Yeah. So many remixes are just kind of like, oh, well, you've, you've put like a four to the floor beat underneath it and added yeah. some, you know, but yeah, it was, it was a, well, we were even sort of talking about trying not to use the word remix because it felt like a different version of it. Like, and and it kind of was, yeah, it kind of yeah. was. I think I only used a couple of things, but I used the music. I used some of the things you'd done in the song, but kind of replayed them and used like a, a few mm. elements. So it was kind of more of a rework than a remix, yeah. Because you're, yeah, someone, yeah. Some, sometimes someone will put a tambourine on it or whatever, and you're like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nothing out of 10 for effort. I mean, we heard it and we were upset that we hadn't thought of half of those things. Oh, really? Yeah, because it's like, <laughs> it's like right there from your like seeds. And you think, oh, it could have. Yeah, we should have done that. Why didn't we do that? It will be an interesting thing going forward, technically ripping off one of our own songs. That's... Because of all the stuff you've done. <laughs> We've definitely done that over the years. I wouldn't worry about it. That's kind of... <laughs> if someone else does something smart, then we always kind of just steal it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We heard it's it. It was like way. that Peep Show line of, yeah, this, this is most like us with uh, stuff we've ever done, I think. But you know, listen to someone else as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on uh, back to the um, Mercury nomination, which mm. really now that you're number one, too poppy for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've you've gone mainstream. <laughs> but so, how does it actually work? Like, how do they? How do you find out? And well, we got we got an email. When did they get announced on Tuesday? 
no Thursday. So we only emailed the week before. So, um, because yeah, there was a bunch of things you have to do, like, uh, because they announced it and Sex Music had to like do an intro for the radio show they were doing around it and all that stuff. So we we knew about it um, for about a week. So it was quite hard to kind of keep it a secret, you know? Yeah. But um, even my mum knew what it was, which was pretty cool. Oh, that is cool. Because quite often I'll tell my mum something and like, she's always really, really happy um, for things that are happening, but I'll tell her something and she'll just, I'll tell her someone, we've got a gig with someone or something and she'll just be like, who's that? (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah she uh yeah she knew what the mercury prize was and she she knows who the cure are so that's that's the, that's the level, the level yeah. of awareness of uh my mom and the the world we inhabit is it something you thought about before like is it one of your kind of goals or it's kind of weird because we're the I, I don't know if you guys are as well but we're the record label as well as the band so like mm. you kind of have two hats on and the record label hat is definitely like that's a good thing because you'll get the they'll re-promote the record it'll get we'll get to on tv which we don't really ever do and but that's not me that's the dog and uh <laughs> and where whereas the kind of band hat you're like well i would rather be doing a real a, a real show that night rather than going on tv but um yeah no it's it, 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 it's just quite a a lot of people's a lot of people's lives you kind of forget when you're wrapped up in music and you're kind of obsessed with music and music's your what you think about most of the time that that's not the case for most people you know and mm. i guess things like being nominated for mercury probably bring you into the sphere of those kind of people's lives who don't they're not trolling they're not listening <laughs> to pitchfork's 100 albums of the year know that we probably get mm getting at that anyway but that kind of that kind of thing you know like people are kind of um they kind of need they need to be brought to the brought to the table to find out about different bands and stuff so yeah these things are always kind of kind of helpful when they come around yeah like not everyone's on right on it are they like for it's not everyone's whole reason for being music it's it's people consume it in different ways but no, and that and that and that's yeah. fine. I mean, I'm like that probably with like movies. Like, if I probably spoke to some film student or filmmaker about movies, they'd think I'd be the equivalent of someone who's like likes Graceland and Brothers in Arms and Dewey. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to judge people for having different different light interests and lifestyles. So yeah, I think with music, the more things like that you can get, the the, the more you bring people yeah. to your music. So same with playing with um, with different bands. I mean, I remember years ago we played, we did a tour, opening for the Manic Street Preachers when they when they were mm. huge. I mean, they were a big band anyway, but when they were like hands down the biggest band in the country, yeah, we got like shit thrown at us and like. <laughs> not actual shit things thrown, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. things thrown at us and like people were shouting and at the time it felt like we didn't really that it, it didn't feel that worthwhile even though it was nice to be asked to do it it was cool getting to play these big fancy venues that we probably still couldn't play on our own but definitely at, at that point there was no way we could be playing those places and um but years later, the amount of people I meet that that was where they heard about our music. That's where, right? Like they were maybe just some little quiet kid going to going to see a show because the, the gigs were kind of off the beaten track. They weren't in like ma- major cities, and it, it's sometimes these kind of things that kind of bring people to your music that maybe you don't realize so much at the time. But mm. years later, and it may be the it may be the same with the Mercury's. I mean, I'm sure there's loads of kids that are into music or not even just kids, just people. And that's one of the things they watch every year. And someone might hear our song and find out about our music and it come into their lives. So I I guess that's the kind of, that's the um, great thing about it rather than any kind of like Mm. 
an accolade really meaning something because I mean at, at the end of the day music's not a competition it's kind of like it's kind of like um it's kind of like skateboarding being in the Olympics skateboarding is not really a sport yeah but you can quantify who is the best in the world at it yeah. technically but there would be lots of opinions that could say well they're not really the best just because they can do certain tricks down certain amounts of stairs doesn't mean they're really the best yeah. and it's kind of the same with music music's subjective and it's it's an art form so these kind of things are more just a mechanism to to let more people know about different music so uh with your record label hat back on like what made you guys want to start a label in the first place it was kind of it was kind of a done thing back then like the um, Glasgow wasn't really somewhere that the music industry paid that much attention to. Um, generally, bands would move to London, and the the, the kind of independent scene that we were part of. Um, all the bands started their own label, like bands like Urasai Atsura, Delgados, Yummy Fur, Pink Cross, all, all these kind of just our friends, just all the kind of bands that were playing around the same kind of shows as us, they wouldn't generally wait for someone else. It was a DIY scene, so people weren't really waiting for a label from London to come and make a record for them, because to be honest, you would probably die waiting, because there, there just wasn't that much, there just wasn't that much interest. Um, was it something you guys tried, or you just went straight in with the just make a label, let's start a label. As soon as we could, we put a record out. I mean, we did send, in fact, I think we only ever sent it to one label. We sent it to, um, you know, the Flower Shop. Do you remember that label? It's um, Rob, do you know the no. band The God Machine? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. Robin from The God Machine's label. So, we're, so we sent it to him and he, he, I'm friends with him now, but he never even replied. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, we, and what, also what we were doing was really unfashionable. Like, painfully unfashionable um because it was kind of brett pop time so i don't i don't think mm. i don't think there would have been much interest anyway sure. Unt until people until we kind of got on our feet and we ended up signing to chemical underground which were another independent label from glasgow just one run by actual grown-ups who knew what they were doing um whereas we were we were just kind of stabbing in the dark trying to work out how to put a record out going back to the 90s when you first started obviously post-rock wasn't really a term back then or if it was used it was it probably wasn't used to de to describe bands like mogwai so how how were you describing your, like for example if you're in the back of a cab and the cab driver asked you in <laughs> the mid 90s what what sort of music do you make uh, how were you describing it i mean i would, I would probably just say we were an indie band because I mean, the the bands we were the bands we were really influenced by, um, mainly were like Joy Division and My Bloody Valentine and, and those kind of bands. And like, there was some really great instrumental bands which were post rock bands. But again, we didn't really know the term, like mm. um, Tortoise and um, yeah, Stars of the Lead. Yeah, those bands. In fact, it was the first time I ever heard the word the words post rock was. When John Peel played a Stars of the Lead record, and right. I guess he was re referencing a Wire feature or something. Um, I've never really been super into the Wire magazine. Actually, weirdly, because it features more music I like than any other kind of <laughs> any other magazine. But just read the way they write about it is just so joyless. They just kind yeah, of yeah. That was um, it was a source for at, at uni for Joe and I would always use the wire but it was yeah i know what you mean it's very dry like yeah it's dry and and, and i mean yeah sometimes i'll i will sometimes get it and like just check out all the records because there'll be labels that i always like almost always like the music they release but i won't know when they release a record um so it's good for that but yeah i definitely wasn't reading post-rock articles in the wire in the 90s yeah <laughs> but still now like leading on from that however your sound was kind of birthed you managed to sort of ride both sides of it like 
you've always had vocals, but then then it's mainly instrumental. And when I when I think of Mogwai, I think of the instrumental side of it. It's just, and then I sort of yeah. as a secondary thing, remember that there are vocals. You know, I just wonder how how you how you kind of distribute it. Would you ever do a whole album of vocal stuff or no? When does it feel right, basically, to have vocals there? The way we kind of work our music it, it, is just like what's good and and what is written. It's not like we even go, oh, let's write a big heavy song and then we work on a heavy song. It's more like we'll write a song and then like, oh, will this sound good heavy or will this sound good on a piano or will this sound good maybe with some vocals? It's more just what sounds good. I mean, for, for every country, son, I wrote a lot, a lot of songs with vocals. And I think only two, there's two on the record, which is more than we normally have, but it's just never, I find it, I find it quite hard to write the words. And also I think it's quite boring for the rest of the band because when you're playing music that's got a like central vocal line, you've kind of got to let that be the main yeah. focus. And it's kind of not, it leaves less space for doing your own thing. And I'm also not a brilliant singer, you know, I can kind of get away with it a little bit, but I don't know if, I don't know if an hour of me singing over Mogwai songs is gonna. I was interested then in like, for the for the majority of the songs that are instrumental, how they sort of define themselves and what, what kind of part of you gets into those songs like for example your politics or just your your sort of way of being or whatever is that reflected in the songs or i mean i guess it must be but we don't really think too much about it like we kind of we'll just write a piece of music and we'll all play it um until it sounds good but um, I don't know if uh, we think about it too much rather than other than just to make it as good as it can, you know? I think, uh, I kind of, I think as far as politics go, I think that kind of creating art is a political statement because you're choosing to kind of uh, expand your energies on trying to make the world a better place rather than trying to make yourself rich or yeah yeah agree. anything else <laughs> it's kind of well unless you're queen or something <laughs> 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 they kind of our kind of bads that's certainly it's not the kind of motivation no. for, for why, why anyone's doing it yeah totally yeah. I can't imagine you go. All right, everyone, <laughs> sing along. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna, it's not. It's not gonna work. One thing. What this is a, a very specific. Uh, question that I want to ask but what's the deal with breaking curfew because I remember I saw you at Brixton Academy probably about 10 years ago and I thought what you were playing was the last song and then you started to play uh, Mogwai Fear Satan but it was like 5 to 11 and I was like this is impossible there's no way that they're allowed <laughs> to play for this late was it, it do you ever do you ha I because I always thought the curfews for places like that was 11 o'clock and it was tight it's meant to be <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely meant to be I don't know if, um, they can't charge you money because there's no way our tour manager would have let us do it you probably just had a big argument with them sometimes if it, <laughs> sometimes if you're running late and it's not your fault right so like maybe I'm taking a guess here and probably making up a whole scenario that might not be true but like if their shit wasn't working so you went on 15 minutes late but it's because of their right. shit not our shit then they'll probably let you away with it. But I think a lot of these curfews are just so they can all go home on time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't think that there's any, or or there's a disco about to start, but I don't think they have discos in Brixton Academy. No. Um, We've done a few, a few shows where you're like carrying your gear afterwards through dry ice. And everyone's oh, coming. Disco they weren't there yeah. when we were playing. They're like, what are you doing here in the middle of this club with a load of music gear? Yeah. It, and the, the worst in those situations is like if your show's been not yeah. the busiest and, and you're Ooh. like fucking loading your shit out 
through whatever 300 300 people in a room that you just played to <laughs> 40 people in and yeah. they're all going insane to Shakira yeah. or something yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's get this post-rock band off yeah. so the party can yeah start. it can be quite dispiriting <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think Disco Lowdown is my new favourite term. Oh yeah, that's, that's Disco that's Lowdown. That's, that's, that is a term. <laughs> that's 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 a good Mogwai song title right there. If, uh, it's which tempt, is it's tempting fate. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I heard I heard you talk uh, speak not long ago about song titles and you. You said the reason, because I I'm a huge fan of your song titles. My my favourite is the sun smells too loud. Uh, which is also a summer banger uh, for anyone. Yeah. Um, but you said that uh, you didn't. You were trying to avoid being pretentious with your song title, so you just sort of chuck. Yeah. Which is what we wanted to do, but then we had to avoid being Mogwai or, try, or looking like we're ripping off Mogwai. Oh yeah, you've got you've got you've got to find a new uh, a, a totally different way of being irreverent. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, like, I, I guess we probably almost went the opposite way, like. I, I think at one point we were going to not give them titles or something. And like, there's that Le Bradford album where every song's like a line of the the credits. So like, the first song is like recorded yeah, by right. whatever <laughs> the dude's name they recorded it. The third one is like engineered by it. Was all that stuff, and that that makes it even worse. So yeah, I think I think when you dissect almost everything about playing music. You realise how ludicrous the whole thing is. <laughs> like I remember, I remember Barry one time going, "I just thought about it, and like there's flashing lights while we play, so it looks cool. That's ridiculous." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, it's so it's whatever playing yeah. a twenty-minute song with one chord, like, but it's too late to stop now." <laughs> is there uh, is there any bands or artists around today that you want to slag off on a t-shirt? Um, no. <laughs> I, mean, I mean there's lots of bands i don't really like but i just i just don't know if i've got the energy to get annoyed about anything anymore <laughs> no sure <laughs> how, how do you for listeners that don't know we're talking about is it was it blur a shirt was yeah, that the t-shirt yeah. yeah it's a funny t-shirt it's a very <laughs> funny t-shirt um <laughs> i guess there's also like an element of you had to be there because I, I remember like in america because i don't Maybe I'm wrong here, but I don't think Blur are particularly famous in America. And people, I'm sure they're doing fine, but they're probably not playing that dissimilar venues than we play. So people are just like, why did you do that? And you're like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you kind of have to kind of explain kind of mid-90s cultural <laughs> Britain to them. And yeah, yeah. I mean, was that was that the vibe around the DIY scene again? Basically, everyone against Britpop then. Nah, even re not even really to be honest. Like, I mean, I think Bess, who are good friends of ours and who are in that scene and doing really really well, I think they actually quite liked a lot of that music. I just, and I don't, you know what? I don't know if it's even the actual music itself because some of those bands are pretty good. I really like Hole, but um, mm. I think. It was more just the fact that the music that we really liked had kind of been swept under the carpet, you know. And we were, mm. and and back then, with the when the music press was was all powerful, you kind of had to make a big noise for anyone to notice anything. So it's a real different. Everything about it's totally different. You know, I mean, I mean, even you guys are a bit younger, but. Even the early two thousands, it's completely different to now, you know. Like, mm. you can... but I mean, it's crazy how much bigger like Slow Dive and My Bloody Valentine got after the Britpop thing had even started calming down. It took a long time for that to even catch on. I'm not saying they didn't have their fans and there wasn't a, a fan base before that. But no, well, it... the size of the size and popularity of like My Bloody Valentine and Slow Dive now is just phenomenal. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean. I can't speak for slow dive, even though I'm, I'm friends with them. But I mean, as an outsider, I would say that that Brit pop as a cultural movement kind of totally, totally destroyed slow dive. Like they kind of, it was yeah, like you said, it was only when kind of like American 
college kids kind of in recent-ish times kind of got into the music that they kind of got the respect they were due because yeah. and, and this is one thing that's really good about the internet is that people can be into more than one thing you know whereas mm. back then it was like you can only like this and that is terrible and, and we probably completely played into all that so I'm not even like pointing fingers it's probably as guilty of that as anyone but I remember at school we had the Kerrang or Enemy crowd. Exactly. You were one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like you can't like this and this. And and I think the internet's kind of destroyed that. Like, I mean, my I've got a stepson and I just hear me, him listen to the most diverse music that I can't imagine when I was his age, he's 18. I can't imagine listening to like metal and then listening to like hip, like modern hip hop. It just yeah yeah they're like this music or you like that music and i think i think that that has that's changed and i think that that's a good thing in a lot of ways i guess the us being super anti-britpop was probably us kind of like i don't know kind of trying to kind of fight for survival that like well there's this kind of style of music that we style of music but more attitude towards music the music is something serious and something um that has permanence and the kind of flippancy of the kind of brit pop was seemed a real danger to that which now now in today's modern world seems kind of daft but yeah at the time mm. at the time uh things were a bit more uh you know black or white there's maybe something something to be said for that whole idea of only liking this or just little scenes and stuff like i think yeah that is a negative yeah. thing at the point of listening like it's really good now that you can access so many different sounds and people can mix yeah. sounds with other people from around the world yeah the only sort of yeah. plus point maybe to things being a bit more separated is that it allows scenes to kind of grow and bands to influence each other in a in a contained space so you get this like real yeah. genre identity yeah yeah and that is cool and actually there's something to be said for tribalism and that it does mm. it does create like yeah really intense scenes of people immersing themselves in one kind of music and something really special coming out but yeah at the at the I always think of like New York in the seventies when like punk and hip hop were were happening at the exact yeah. same time, and just like I don't know if that would happen now. When do you? When would you rather start? Like both with your artist hat on and with your label hat on. Would you? Are you happy that you started in the nineties, or would you rather be a band starting today? I think the nineties, but but that's not to say that now is a terrible time or anything. I just kind of, I guess, because of when I grew up, lots of things that I was very excited about yeah it's, it's almost, actually it's almost a it's almost an impossible question because the references like the things that were really exciting when we started the band now aren't don't exist mm. but that doesn't mean that the things that have taken their place are any worse or are any worse they're just different things you know like like Things like NME, things like John Peel, like there's such huge things for me, but it's kind of because I was a teenager in the 80s going into the 90s. Whereas, whereas I think if you're a young musician now, you would, you would have similar things. They just wouldn't be the same things, if that makes sense. Oh, so yeah. it, 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 it's, and I mean, a lot of people talk about streaming and no one making any money from records. And that is true, but I mean, I know how much people get paid for gigs now and it's completely different than it was back then. And it's, and I, I'm not sure musicians are actually worse off. I just think they make money from different things. So mm. I don't know. I would say the 90s, but just because that's that's when it happened for with us and and I, I can't. I don't know enough about 
being a teenager right now to mm. to tell you what 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 the equivalent things are and whether they would be as good because I don't know. It's hard not to I'm romanticize sure. it, right? Like it's so much nicer yeah. to be curated. Like John Peel breaks you into the scene is better than yeah. oh we you know we really hammered all these algorithms so we got on loads of Spotify playlists yeah. and uh, that is true. <laughs> that that is true. But but maybe there's some fucking cool blogger out there or something that I just don't know about you know like maybe there's maybe there is some something that's equivalent you know like maybe um I don't know like Marianne Hobbs is cool she's kind of like she I'd say yeah. she's kind of taking the mantle from John Peel you know yeah, yeah. so yeah there's, it's not like there's there's nothing like that I mean there's no printed music press but see when we were growing up a long time ago I always said uh the one thing I'd love to achieve is to be on the John Peel show. And uh, obviously, unfortunately, we didn't get to that point. But like, I'm sure you've been asked it a lot. But what was it like being around John Peel? It was really cool. And like, like, like you, that that was that was our, we had two ambitions. One was to get a record played on Peel. And the other one was to play the Barrowlands. And um, John Peel play, played our first single. And it was amazing. Like, do you remember Teletext? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like I, <laughs> I, I took a photo of the teletext page, in case, like to, with a film camera. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to prove it happened. I mean, like it That's was such brilliant. a big thing. And, but he he was a nice guy. Like he came to, um, when I lived at my parents, he uh, came up to do a documentary. I had a series of documentaries called The Sound of the Suburbs, and um, they're all on YouTube actually. And he did one about Lanarkshire, which is where I'm from. And he was really, he was interviewing the Delgados, but he'd told them where the hotel he was staying was. And they just mentioned that it was near my mom and dad's house. And he phoned, phoned my parents' house. And I wasn't like, a, I wasn't a friend of his. I was just like, I was just a kid in a band. He'd maybe played once or twice. And like, he invited me for dinner. Wow. And yeah. like, yeah it was it was it was totally amazing and yeah he was a really really friendly guy he was always really supportive um and yeah we did we did a bunch of sessions for him and um yeah sadly yeah he 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 died relatively young um is i'm sure he would still be on the radio no doubt about it yeah i'm sure he would he would have been maybe not four times a week or whatever but he would he would definitely still be on the radio playing weird African music and mad techno from Yugoslavia or whatever you know like no he he, he was amazing the, the the great thing as well about the peel thing was that they paid you for the sessions like we kind of we used used the money from from those sessions to be able to afford to go and play in London and probably mm. even to like help us record our music. Like, I think it was like 500 quid, which I guess now would be whatever, a thousand pounds or something, maybe. So, like, kind of like when you're a teenager in a band, that's a lot of money. It's really, really helpful. Yeah. Funny you should say about, um, like, one is like the other goal was to play Barrowlands, right? And, like, what was the reasoning behind that? Uh, it, was, it, 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 it was, I don't know if you guys have, have it's probably the equivalent of Brexton Academy in Glasgow it's holds a couple of thousand people. It was just the just the place where we saw loads of kind of pretty defining shows. Like I remember seeing like the Cramps, the Jason Mary Chain, Sonic Youth, all these kind of bands and it just and I, when we said we wanted to play there, I don't think we even expected to headline. I think we were kind of like, we yeah. can play it. Just play yeah, we can just we just wanted to play there. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, I I guess that just felt like that would be really that would be real if we played there. Because it's, it's kind of cool um, how that thing yeah. gets passed down. Like, so you know, you see shows there, and you're playing, and yeah. in the early days, and you want to emulate that. And then I think back to some of our earlier tours. Like we played at a, an amazing show. Like one of my favorite shows we've ever played at the thirteenth note. And oh I yeah, I've I've heard you then yeah. saying that that was like sort of an important place in the scene. As Absolutely, you were yeah. Developing, you know. Yeah, that was that was where we played our first ever show, and um. Oh wow. 
and our second and third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like back then, it was it was Alex who went went on to be the singer in Franz Ferdinand. Yeah. That was the he was the booker there, and oh, I, right. Alex yeah. was super supportive of um all he was he was i mean this is a while ago now so he he was young and i, I guess he only wanted to like book young bands right <laughs> because right. i guess kind of as some kind of protest against people not being very nice to young bands so he was a really really important person for us and for um music in glasgow back then so um yeah it was great when he went and became a massive pop star everyone was super happy about it <laughs> <laughs> see i just love that i just love that kind of the legacy left behind by fans in certain and then there's like like so, yeah. so you've got that magic mm. left in that place and we play there and we're like oh we played we play 13th note we had this happen. probably like that excitement is what made it a favorite show of mine mm. as i remember it so yeah, now, cool. now i'm just sort of crossing my fingers hoping that i hear some band wants to play at the the bull and vic in dartford on a Tuesday night because <laughs> we played it'll there. It'll, it'll totally happen. Like I, I think like venues really kind of. I mean, it's kind of so nostalgic now thinking about it because no one's really been at a show for a while, but they do hold these really important memories and like, like a gig will be legendary and you'll kind of like be so excited about the same band coming back there and all that stuff. So no, it's totally amazing. And another one of our dreams that we weren't allowed to achieve was to play uh, the London Astoria because oh, obviously yeah. that they needed to make it an important anonymous building in the, in the centre of London. It's, just, <laughs> it's absolutely nothing there. There's nothing. There's literally uh, nothing there. Is that not right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's just no, yeah, it was supposed to be a train station and then it got scrapped. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, so that's infuriating. Because you got you guys played there, didn't you? We did, and that that was actually one of that was one of my favorite ever shows when we we opened for Pavement. Um, oh, what oh, a wow. it, shut it, up! It was, that's so annoying. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was the Enemy Brat Awards, and we we were first on. It was us, then Broadcast, then Gorky's Psychotic Monkey, then Pavement, oh and god. we. Oh my god! And at that point, we we. We'd only played places like the Thirteenth Note, so like, yeah, we just had no idea of how it was going to go. And like, Martin had a video of Radiohead playing the Astoria, and I remember yes. I was watching it and just being like, "Oh my god, that's so huge!" Like, like just not being able to kind of like quantify what it would be like being on a stage like that. And thankfully, it's just the exact same on being as being on a little stage, apart from you've got a wee bit more room. But uh, <laughs> it, sure. that that show was is one of my favourite ever shows because we were so nervous. It was such a big deal, and we were such massive pavement fans. And they were de- yeah. they were really nice to us. And we ended up the same year going out and, and playing with them in the states for a week. So uh, oh, yeah, brilliant. it was it, it was it was great and. I saw. I saw. Also, like I'm sure you guys have saw some amazing shows at the Astoria. Really, mm, really, yeah. really great shows. Yeah, that's a tragedy that that's that that's that's now nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's a real shit. Do you know? I th- I think funnily enough, now you've mentioned that lineup. I think my brother. Uh, I don't know if he still has, but he used to have that ticket for that gig oh, really? in his frame of tickets. Oh, that's cool. Uh, if I can find it, I can nick it off him and send it to you. Because <laughs> uh, I think I think he went to a lot of those NME shows yeah. at the time, and I think in my head I thought that you guys had played with Blur, and I, I wondered, have, have you crossed paths with them ever? Yeah, we, we got a flight with them a couple of years ago. <laughs> it was slightly awkward. Really? <laughs> yeah, because also I think like some of our crew, like maybe you used to work with them or something. It's fine. I actually know Graham, the guitar player, a little bit. He's actually a nice guy, but um, yeah. I'm sure they couldn't give a shit about our t-shirts. They were probably too busy, no, like, sure. I don't know, buying buying yachts or something. That, that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did uh, which? What came first? Was it was it the the blur t-shirt or was it that cradle of filth t-shirt? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they were trying to one up you, but they ten upped you in the end. There's yeah, no topping yeah, that one. I think they, I think they they took home the gold medal for that one. 
yeah, I won't put I won't put into context what Cradle of Filth yeah. says because uh, that's yeah, people, clippable people and cancelable. Rude Cradle of Filth T-shirt, and I'm yeah. sure they'll find it. Yeah. <laughs> well, earlier we were talking about um, Slow Dive, obviously, who I absolutely love. But then, obviously, you got to work with uh, Rachel and one of our mutual friends, Justin Lockie. What was it like working? How did that even come about? Like, what was it like working with all of them? And it was great. Yeah, it was great. I mean, I didn't know Justin. I think Justin had started doing some stuff with Rachel, and they wanted another guitar player. They just asked me, and it was it was great. It was a weird one that we didn't actually all get together until the record was finished. So I'd never, I'd never oh, even, wow. I'd never met James. I'd met Justin once at a gig in Newcastle. Um, well, so there's an ambulance. Or a police car, more likely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it, it was weird. Thankfully, we all got on. But, yeah, we didn't really... We'd never really met up. And I don't think James had met Rachel till it was finished. Oh, wow. Yeah, but, but I mean, as you guys know, James is, like, the most affable dude the of funniest, all time yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. like, you couldn't fail to not want to be friends with james so it was good we're, we're did, actually planning on, on another one but i guess we just need to kind of to do it oh, really? <laughs> oh wow that'd be great. yeah that'd be cool that'd be great if you do if you do it again or like if the, that plan comes together is it is the plan to to do it all in the same place next time or do you think you'll stick to the same process um, I think we'll probably do it, especially now that we're all friends. We'll mm. we'll we'll do it more together. I mean, the band doesn't have a drummer, so there's no probably no point in hiring a real big studio. But I think <laughs> Justin's got a setup down at his place, so I'll probably go down there for to for a few days, maybe even a week or something, and, and do all my parts. But um, yeah. Rachel, you know, Rachel's got a kid, so I don't know if she'd fancy going up to Justin. She'd probably, she'd probably do hers at her place. It'd probably be largely the same, but I think I would go and record with Justin this time just because it would be easier to know exactly what to do. <laughs> um, we know that, uh, well, when you tour, you've always got the Celtic scarf. Uh, so sport's very important to you, or football's very important to you. Going back to the label, are there any signings you've missed out on? Like, you know, like the equivalent of uh, that picture of Zlatan Ibrahimovic wearing an Arsenal shirt? Because um, we were that close. I mean, Kelly gave me the block party demo. <laughs> no. He did. I mean, I don't know if he, he just gave me it to let me hear it or whether he was really looking for a label. Um, we got offered one of the last Rocky Erickson albums, which Chemical Underground ended up doing. But I kind of, I, I kind of, Regret that a little bit. Um, I don't know if there's any other ones. I'm sure there's ones that, if we'd be more on it, maybe we could have put on some some of our friends' bands that ended up doing really really well. But yeah, it's it's a weird one with labels because who's to say that who's to say that like we wouldn't have put in the Block Party record. And, not really done anything, you know. Right, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. There's so many like different factors um, in it, so yeah, I don't know. That that's the only one, but that's. I mean, when I <laughs> when I thought of that question, I just thought it was a good way to bring up talking about football. I wasn't expecting you to name a stadium act. <laughs> that <gave you> that <laughs> and, uh, it's making me a wee bit sad. Now. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's well let's talk about Scotland in the Euros then. Uh, <laughs> One goal was pretty great. Why that was that looked like it must have meant a lot. It did. It was a lot of excitement. In fact, I think it's probably I hugged my friend Mark, and I think it's the only person apart from my wife that I've hugged for. About two <laughs> wow. <years. laughs> yeah. uh, you know what? It, it, it was really good. It was really good to actually just not have to just adopt a random team and actually sure. support a team. It's just been so long. Uh, and it's kind of funny too, because I remember watching the the World Cup, the last one Scotland were in, and it was yeah. when we still used to rehearse in Martin's bedroom at his mum and dad's. Wow. <laughs> <I remember> what, <laughs> we just kind of like 
shows you how long ago it was, but it was fun. And I mean, you guys must have loved it. You know, like England were great. Really it, yeah, it was fun. I mean, really... I, I, I enjoyed our, our Scottish friends on social media really violently not wanting England to win. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, are, are you part of the ABE <laughs> brigade? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm married to an English woman. Oh, so okay. I think I would have been. I think I would have been getting thrown out the window if I'd been there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that path. I mean, it's kind of. I mean, it's just football rivalry. I think. I think sometimes, mm. sometimes people who don't, who aren't into football, don't realise the stupid petty nature of yeah. being a football <laughs> fan. That I mean, I don't know what team you guys support. What team do you guys support? We're both United, Kieran and I, and Joe's well, Arsenal. Arsenal. So you're not. If Spurs were in a final, you guys would not want them to win. Oh, not, of course. Yeah, no, or no, like no. United. Who's United's big rivals? It used to be well, Leeds. Man City. Well, it's Liverpool. City, Liverpool. Liverpool. Or Liverpool. So you wouldn't want Liverpool to win. So like, it's kind of... <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that was the problem with England, this tournament, doing so well. It's like more people got into it that don't understand... That it's just it's just a laugh like the rivalry stuff like don't yeah. take it too seriously yeah. and, I went, and you know what i did i did see a handful of stuff <laughs> that i thought went too far to be honest and um that is bullshit but yeah the football rivalry is inherently petty that's the, the, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the it's the whole part of it. like like if, if you don't want your rivals to lose then why are you even watching it? Like that's that's like <laughs> yeah, you can't want everyone to win. Then it's boring. So, but I mean, you've lived in a you've you live in a city where there's a Celtic Rangers right. That that's a different kind of rivalry, isn't mm. it? Is it though? <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not. I mean, I, I I don't want Rangers to win, but it's not because of any weird fucking religion thing. I just gotta. Mm. They're just the other team. Do you know what I mean it's just like. Yeah, it's like pe- people from, a, if you're from afar looking at it, it's kind of like my point before, it's like, it looks, if you sort of just lump everyone yeah. in those, like the mad extremists on it with everyone, yeah. it's like, oh my no, God. No, I, 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 I agree. And I mean, I, I guess one of the things that I think made it look worse was that the, the England team were super likable, like really yeah. nice young guys standing up against racism like <laughs> and that made it look worse because you're like yeah i mean i don't want gaza to win but these guys these guys these, <laughs> <laughs> these guys these guys seem like really nice kids do you know what i mean and like they're standing up to racism it in the face of opposition from the fucking government do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like, it, yeah. It, it, it wasn't a good moment to be that petty because I think that the England team seemed, yeah, a lot to like about them, you know? And and kind of like the, the whole booing of them taking the knee, they kind of, they wouldn't back down with that, you know? What they did is probably more important than, than winning, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Although I'm sure you yeah, guys would have rather than one as well. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not over it in any no. way. But uh, bring it back to music. What's your favorite uh, football song? Football song. I'm. I'm assuming it's not. It's coming home. No, it's not. There... <laughs> um, I don't know. Um. Probably that. Probably. Uh... You're not going to like that if you're United fans, but probably that Liverpool rap. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. Big. I like. I love how he he rhymes uh, hard as hell and Arsenal. Yeah, that's. Uh, that's yeah. I, mean. I think that's. Probably, I think that's probably the best one. That's kind of like. Um, yeah, I was quite upset with the New Order one. I wasn't. That that. But um, yeah, I think I think I think that I think the Arsenal. No, no, no. The the Anfield rap's probably the best one. It's, it, it, there's not a lot of competition though, is there? Most are pretty Yeah, well, you're no. not allowed to say the Zidane soundtrack. Oh, shit, I forgot about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that's tenuous, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I've heard people that. humming it on the terraces. Yeah, they're going to be singing that on the terraces. Someone told me he liked it. 
Oh, really? Is he dead? Really? Although, you know what? That may be bullshit. <laughs> well, I mean, if he's not, if he's not coming, I'm choosing to believe. If he's not coming head by you yet, you're fine. He must have. Obviously, he's seen. Yeah, it. he's seen it, and he and he's gonna. I can't. Why wouldn't you like it? I mean, I don't know. Someone told me he's into like, like Whitney Houston and shit. So I, I don't know if it's <laughs> his kind of music, but I'm sure. He, I mean, French people are super cultured. I'm sure he probably realizes it's kind of fits the whole weird melancholy vibe of the project. Yeah. Yeah. How sure. did that? How did that come about? The was. Hey, was it we like knew, started by you, or you recruited to? Oh, it we were recruited. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's it was made by two artists, Douglas Gordon and Philippe Perron, and we knew and know Douglas, so they tried a lot of different people's music, and they tried ours, and it fitted. Um, it was a weird one though. Like I, I didn't think it would be that big a deal. Because it was so weird. Like when it was explained to us, I was like, this is totally weird. I was like, they'll like, show this in the ICA for a week or something. I didn't realize it was going to be such a big thing. But then I, I think when he headbutted Maserat, Matarazzi, not Maserat, that's a car. Um, <laughs> Matarazzi, I think that that actually really helped the film because. Because <laughs> loads of people were talking about them. Yeah. What I mean, what a way Safe, to go out. Safety notice for the lift listeners: don't try and headbutt uh, Maserati. No, no, you'll get in a lot of trouble. But yeah, yeah. it is quite a way to go out. And I remember, I thought, did, I, do, I don't know if you'd heard the rumors as well, but like, apparently, like he was just annoyed because he didn't think that Maserati was a good enough player to be playing in the World Cup final. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like something Ibrahimovic would pull off. Yeah, yeah like yeah. It, it wasn't even anything that big a deal. He was just like, "Fuck this guy. He's too shit to be playing." But that's that's what I would if I was him. I would spread that rumor yeah. as opposed to yeah. like, maybe nonsense. Like I lost my head because I mean the thing I heard was that he was told something about him by a like a club teammate. Like, oh, right. I assume at Juve. I think he was at Juve right, okay. at the time. And then obviously Zidane was formerly at Juve. Yeah. And he said, mention XYZ and he'll lose his shit. Right. Okay. That's what I heard yeah, anyway. It may be that. I mean, I, did, I mean, I remember as well the kind of the, the chat on the, the British media was like that it was out of character. But because we've been involved in this film, and he gets sent off in the film. And apparently they were worried he was going to get sent off in the first five minutes, which would have totally <laughs> destroyed the film. So, like, apparently he used to get sent off all the time. Like, he's just a bit of a ragy guy, you know? Yeah. Bring it back to, um, you know, you've had a number one album. Like, you know, you're a, you're a certified pop star now. I don't know if that's quite... But I'll take no, it. No, that's it. I can see it. I've seen <laughs> you, you, your fancy baseball cap. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> up there in your ivory tower. Um, but it, if uh, going back over your back catalogue, is that the album uh, you would want to have been number one, or the one? Is any other of your albums do you think more deserving of having been number one? I mean, I'm really, really fond of our second record, "Come On Die Young," but mm. I think the fact that got in the charts at all is a minor miracle because it's it's pretty bleak. So no, I'm I'm happy with this one. Yeah, I'm happy with this one. It's it's um yeah, I'm I'm still I'm happy with the record and even though it's taken us ten albums, I'm just really grateful for it to 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 do so well. That's it. Thanks again to Stuart for his time. Uh, best of luck to Mogwai at the Mercuries. I hope Arlo Parks doesn't headbutt you for not being good enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, we hope you all enjoyed the first episode of The Paper Crane. First one in the books. Done. Yeah, well, please take the time to give us five stars and maybe a little review. Or simply tell your friends to check us out. It really, really helps. Yeah, and, and despite, you know, not being able to make this one, I may even give it five stars myself. I think you guys <laughs> did a fantastic job. Uh, if anyone else wants to get in touch with us and tell these guys how well they did, then you can get in touch with us on Twitter or Instagram, at Codes Clouds. 
and you can email us on info at codesinthecloud.net on the next episode Joe and I chat with 2020 Mercury nominee and judge on this year's panel Hazel Wilde from the brilliant Lanterns on the Lake as well as Lights on Moscow also great also a great band bloody brilliant band we need we need a sign off we need a sign off uh, okay. What's um, our special sign-off? Hey guys, hello. Uh, we, t- uh, take that, take that paper, and fold it cranewards. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs>